Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to Blitzcast number 102. Ed Hunt, Alex Kavtov, we're in the house. We're getting closer to the NFL Draft. We're less than a month away We're going to have a great interview for you at the end of the show, but right now we want to get to quarterback talk, Ed. So we're going to speculate, Ed. There have been some whispers out there that the Miami Dolphins really love Joe Burrow, and they want to move up and get that number one overall pick in order to draft them. And and, um, obviously, I'm sure most teams that don't have a starting quarterback would love to move up and draft Joe Burrow from LSU, especially with the year that he had. But it's not going to happen. I mean, the Bengals are not going to surrender that number one overall pick. They want to get a quarterback, a franchise type of quarterback, that can lead them into the future for the next decade. So the Dolphins have the number five overall pick. Most likely they're going to trade with the Detroit Lions to, to get to the number three spot. But It doesn't matter. Let's just assume that the Miami Dolphins are in the driver's seat for that number two quarterback in the draft. So I want to pose the question to you, Ed. Who would you take if you were the Miami Dolphins, a team that's been starving for a franchise type of quarterback since the Dan Marino days? Would you take Tua from Alabama, or would you take Justin Herbert from Oregon? Yeah, I, I really like the plan for the for the Dolphins to trade up to uh, the number three pick, and you know maybe they have to give up a little bit of draft capital, but they have plenty of draft capital. I, I like the idea. I like the idea of uh, you know going with Justin Herbert. Um, he's a guy who can hit moving targets with accuracy. He has good vision as a runner. He can throw under pressure. He has a zip on his passes. And I think his internal clock is getting better every year, and I think it got. I think it was his best his senior year. I think I think Justin Herbert is the safest pick of the of these quarterback prospects. I mean, obviously Joe Burrow kind of in his own category, you know, with the year he had. But I mean, Justin Herbert is. I mean, he he is he's he's been you know he's he started for a lot of years. He's been successful. Um, maybe the Oregon offense, you know, didn't suit him to put up the big production that he was capable of doing. But I mean, this guy has all the tools to be a great NFL quarterback. And you know, if I if I if I come away with Justin Herbert, I I might be as happy as if I came away with Joe Burrow. I mean, I, obviously, if I had to choose between the two, if I'm at Cincinnati at number one and I had to choose between the two, I'd probably take Burrow. But at the same time, I mean, I, I I feel I feel just as happy with a guy like Justin Herbert. So, so yeah, I I would go I would go with Justin Herbert there. Um, you know, I guess I guess the other option would be Tua Tung Viola, but I mean, there's the injury concern. You know, he he did have an injury that has ended careers for a lot of famous athletes in a lot of different sports. And he has recovered well, and from all the reports, and so I do think he is a top ten pick. And I think if the Dolphins go and get Herbert at number three and trade down um, with the Lions, I do think I do think the next team up to get a quarterback will be the the Chargers. And I think I think it would be a great move for them to get Tua Tungviola. Tua is just too much of a risk in the top ten, Ed. He's just too much of a risk because. He has those durability concerns, and it isn't only one injury out there. It's actually three. He hasn't been able to stay healthy for a full season in SEC competition. So how do you expect him to stay healthy in the NFL where guys are bigger, faster, more athletic? Herbert is the safer pick, even though he's got a lower ceiling. Look, he's got a completion percentage of 64%. He's thrown for 95 touchdowns, 23 interceptions. Uh, he started for four years at Oregon. That offense was dull. It, it just never took advantage of what Herbert can do. And I think once they opened up the offense, people saw what he could be able to do. He might be the next Carson Wentz when they started running the ball a little bit more with him in that Pac-12 championship game against Utah. And then we saw them follow it up against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. So the arm strength, the size, the athleticism, it's there. You just have to tap into it. And if a team believes that Herbert and Tua are about the same, 
They have to go with Justin Herbert because he is the safer pick. He's never been hurt for a long periods of time except for in the beginning of his career. Tua has been hurt a lot, and that's what I'm saying. And I do believe that the Chargers and the Dolphins are the two teams in need of the quarterback. The Dolphins will have to, to make that choice. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see. But I actually rank that, just like you, I rank Justin Herbert ahead of Tua Tungvaloa because I believe he is the better quarterback and the safer pick. And in my rankings, I went with Justin Herbert, even though I've torn him apart on this show, thinking that he was never going to amount and become that, that great quarterback in the NFL. But even if he's going to be a good quarterback with a solid running game, with a solid offensive line, he's a guy that could lead the Miami Dolphins into the playoffs every year. And again, they haven't had a franchise type of quarterback for a lot of years, Chad Pennington, Jay Fiedler, you know, I could go on and on. Ryan Tannehill, Jay Cutler. It's it's funny. I mean, since Dan Marino retired, since he walked away, the Miami Dolphins haven't had a real quarterback under center. Yeah, I, I just I, I don't want I don't want the listeners to go home and and take this that you know we think Tua Tungviola is going to be a bust because I I think there's a lot of upside with this pick. I mean, he could. He could uh, he could be an excellent quarterback. He's got a strong arm. He's got an aggressive, um, you know, sort of mentality with his decision making. Um, you know, good arm. He's got good accuracy. He's a left-handed quarterback, so that I think that could throw some defenses off. Um, you know, he was a winner at Alabama. I mean, he was. I mean, despite the history that the University of Alabama has, I mean, he he might be one of the most prominent figures in Alabama history. Um, he might be the best quarterback in Alabama history. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, at least in recent history. I mean, can you think of a better Alabama quarterback in recent history? No, he definitely put up the numbers, incredible numbers out there, and uh, yeah, he is. Better than Jalen Hurts. He's better than A.J. McCarron. If you're looking at, at the Alabama quarterbacks, especially in, in recent years, Tua is it, Ed. I mean, last year, Ed, what was what was the, the thought process? Tank for Tua, right? I mean, people believed that he was going to be the next great quarterback. Nobody anticipated that he was going to get injured again and that Joe Burrow was just going to come out of nowhere and have the type of season that he had with, with LSU and SEC play. So, look, Tua is still a good prospect. He's just he's still risky in the top ten just because of that those durability concerns. That That's all I'm, I'm trying to get out there. He has a lot of the tools that you look for in in a franchise type of quarterback. So I'm sure we'll see three quarterbacks still being taken in the top ten. Uh, there's no doubt about it. It's just Ed and I believe that Herbert is the better choice over Tua uh, because even though he might not have the ceiling that Tua Tungvaloa has, Justin Herbert is a solid pick. And uh, he would be the guy that we would choose if we were the Miami Dolphins at number five. So, quarterback talk, let's get to the running backs in the 2020 NFL draft. It's a very deep group, Ed. Running back always has a short shelf life. I mean, we've seen it with Todd Gurley. We've seen it with Melvin Gordon. Two running backs that were drafted in the 2015 NFL draft in the first round, and they're, they've moved on. They've signed with different teams now. Todd Gurley was terminated, was released by the Los Angeles Rams. He's now with the Atlanta Falcons. He signed a one-year deal. Melvin Gordon, also another guy that hasn't been healthy, hasn't turned out to be that big-time player that the Chargers anticipated. He's moved on. He's now with the Denver Broncos. So I saw the article that you and I uh, written for the site. I would just say this. I, didn't, I don't feel that a running back is worthy of taking in the first round in this draft. I believe all, we will see a run on running backs on day two. There's some quality guys on day three. But I saw your answers, Ed, and you believe that three running backs should be drafted in the first round in the 2020 NFL draft. Yeah, I, 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 just, think, I just think that uh, Dobbins, uh, Swift, and Jonathan Taylor are all elite backs. I mean, they're all they're all you know immediate starters in the NFL, and I think I think you know 
I mean, there there is still a market for teams that want an immediate feature back. And so, um, you know, we've seen guys like Melvin Gordon when he was drafted and, you know, Ezekiel Elliott. And teams teams do draft high high capital, you know, good draft capital for a good running back. I mean, teams teams still want a guy who can run the ball and, you know, may, you know give them that competitive advantage when running the ball and making tacklers miss. I mean, it's not my philosophy, but I think there are teams that – that uh that that want that and so um I, I I legitimately think that I think we're going to come out of the first round with three running backs. If you want to make the playoffs, you have to run the ball. But the thing is, you can find quality running backs on day two, day three, even on undrafted free agent market. We saw that with Philip Lindsay a couple of years ago. So just because you're drafting a running back in the first round doesn't mean you're going to get a franchise type of guy. For every Todd Gurley, and he did give the Rams four or five quality years, for every Melvin Gordon, for every Ezekiel Elliott, there's a Leonard Fournette, there's a Darius Geis. So you always have to remember that. These guys, they take hits, and their shelf life is not a very long one. So I've always been a proponent that you could take a player that could be a star for you for the next 10 to 12 years in the NFL you take that player at another position instead of taking a running back that's going to give you five, six good years, and then you move on. And we see that a lot of the times. Every year it seems like the running backs, you know, if you're over 30, that's it. And we see it with David Johnson. He gave Arizona Cardinals one good year. Look what happened to him. So it's, just, it's a risky position to take in the first round. If you could take a guy at another position – uh, he could give you 10 to 12 good years, and I think you go with that. So let's start with your top 10. Well, I, I just I just want to have my defense of my, my position, um, you know, just, just to ex- be able to explain my position uh, a little bit better. I, I, I'm a big believer in actually just taking running backs on day three. I mean, find guys who can pass, protect, and play special teams and – um, you know that's that's really my philosophy. I don't believe in using high draft capital on running backs either. I I actually like more of a committee approach, and I like more of a you know l- lesser draft capital. And I mean a lot of these guys, you know, you just kind of keep drafting them. You know, you I I don't really believe in signing running backs to second contracts and stuff like that. So I mean I'm I'm with you. I'm just saying the difference is, is that I'm saying what teams will do as opposed to what I would do. And so what I would do is I would draft you know, guys on day three, mid-round, um, if I needed running backs. But at the same time, if I if I want to um, – I, I do think there are teams out there historically who have said, you know what, we want to we wanna invest some draft capital in a good running back and a good get a good feature back. So that's, that's really my position there, and I just want that to be clear. Absolutely. I mean, since the 2015 NFL draft where Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon were drafted in the first round, we saw guys like Leonard Fournette go to the Jacksonville Jaguars with the fourth overall pick. We saw, obviously, Christian McCaffrey go to the Carolina Panthers with the eighth pick. We saw Saquon Barkley go number two in that draft where Dave Gettleman decided to go with the running back over a quarterback. So, Absolutely. There are plenty of GMs out there that believe, hey, we'll, we'll use the back for five, six years. We'll give them 300 carries a year. We'll just the wear and tear, and he's going to be a good back for us, but we're not going to sign him to a second contract. Obviously, teams do draft running backs in the first round. Let's go with your top 10 list, top 10 running backs in the 2020 NFL draft, and let's start with number 10. Okay, well, my number 10 is, uh, he's kind of one of my underrated guys, and he's he's the guy I think it might be a little bit surprising. I, I kind of like this kid, Darius Anderson, from uh, TCU. Um, very speedy guy, great outside runner, you know, explosive runner. Um, I think he can make tacklers miss with his speed and agility. Um, I, I mean, he has some weaknesses. He's not great at breaking tackles, and he needs to stay up more upright when pass blocking. You know, so there's there's some kinks, but I mean, this is my number ten. So I, I I like I like this kid Darius Anderson from TCU. And the Senior Bowl liked him, Ed. He was added to the Senior Bowl and was one of the backs in in Mobile, Alabama this year. So 
obviously they they agree with you. He was one of the better senior running backs out there. Yeah, so we'll go on to number nine. Um, I, I like this kid, Joshua Kelly, uh, running back from UCLA. Um, you know, actually, Steven Montez gives this guy pretty good praise. Um, he executes the option well in college. Um, I think he needs to improvise better on routes, but I think he has good burst, decent vision. He's a physical runner, and I think he's a serviceable pass blocker. So Joshua Kelly is a guy, you know, maybe – Maybe sitting there in like the fourth round. I mean, maybe maybe he's the kind of guy you take. That's an interesting story. I mean, this kid ended up at UC Davis, and then it's it's a Division two school. And by the way, Keelan Doss was at UC Davis, the guy who who went undrafted and was a star on on Hard Knocks for the for the Raiders before getting cut, and then he was brought back to the team. So, And then he transferred to UCLA for the last two years. I actually wasn't that impressed with his film going into the Senior Bowl. And then at the practices, he's one of the guys that stood out at the running back position. He was the star of the week. Joshua Kelly helped himself more than, than any other prospect at the running back position. So I, I had to go back, rewatch it, and yeah, I bumped his grade up a little bit, and I actually have him at number nine in my rankings as well. So great minds think alike, Ed. I'm glad we're, uh, you know, on the on the same page for the first couple guys. But, uh, I mean, I might surprise you with number eight. Um, I like this guy. I think he's underrated. It's James Robinson, uh, running back from Illinois State. I think the reason why he's not being rated as high is because he plays from kind of a smaller, smaller conference. But, um I think he changes running speeds effectively, which not every running back can do. He's a patient runner. I think he fights for tough yards with elusiveness. Um, tries to do too much sometimes at, at times, I agree. Not particularly fast on tape, but he was the focal point of Illinois State's offense. So, I mean, teams knew they were going to run the ball, and he was still running the ball, and he was still getting yards and you know, moving the ball and, you know, making tacklers miss. So that tells me, you know, you give him a good offensive line, you know, where where maybe like the uh, the competition is a little bit more even, where he, you know, he has an NFL offensive line and, you know, he's going against an NFL defensive line. I think, I think, I think an NFL scenario might actually benefit a guy like James Robinson. Yeah, James Robinson is, so he was at the East West Shrine game this year. He's the guy that rushed for over 200 yards back-to-back in the playoff games that Illinois State won before they they went to face North Dakota State in the semifinal game that they lost. So James Robinson has been the feature back at Illinois State for the last three years. The The one knock against him, I guess, he wasn't featured in the passing game, but he is the FCS version of A.J. Dillon. And A.J. Dillon is the guy that you're going to get to. Uh, he's a running back from Boston College. But these guys are similar in their running style. And James Robinson is certainly one of those guys that's kind of flying under the radar. But a smart NFL team is going to get a pretty good back in the middle rounds. So we're going to number seven, uh, Eno Benjamin, uh, running back from uh, Arizona State. I, I think he's an okay route runner. Uh, used a lot in play action, and but I think he's a tough runner for hard yards, elusive runner. I think he can pass block, you know, in a, at an average level. I think he has decent vision. Maybe he needs to read the blitz better when blocking, but is a very solid running back. I mean, this isn't a guy you're going to have to, you know, go for in the first round. But, um, you know, he, he, he had a good career at Arizona State. No, he had a great career. This is my most underrated running back in this draft because I think this guy is going to go on day three. But I think you're going to get a quality back in the fourth or fifth round. He's been a star at Arizona State for the last three years. He's got he runs with good power. He displays good cutback ability. He's a patient runner who waits for his blocks to develop. He can make defenders miss in a phone booth. He's an athletic back and has a deadly spin move that he has shown throughout his career. And the one thing that really stands out about Eno Benjamin is his receiving ability and. In today's game, as a running back coming out of college, you have to catch the ball extremely well. And this guy is the best receiving back, in my opinion, in this in this entire class. And that's where Eno Benjamin comes in and, and gives added value out there. Needs to cut down on those fumbles, though. 
He had ball security issues that plagued him. I think he had six during his last junior season at Arizona State. He didn't have any fumbling issues before that, but they certainly haunted him uh, during his last year at Arizona State. And another guy, by the way, that you and I saw at the Senior Bowl, because even though he was a junior, he graduated early and uh, was able to uh, join the festivities in, uh, in Mobile, Alabama. The next guy is um, a guy we've you know kind of alluded to already, um, AJ Dillon, running back from Boston College. Who, you know, he's he's had a good couple of years. I mean, it's not just like a one-year wonder kind of guy. Um, you know, he 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 showed some things as a sophomore. Um, I, I noticed they line him up as an outside receiver at times. So I mean, they have some confidence in him in the passing game. He hits the hole hard. You know, as a runner, um, he has good vision. He's a physical runner, um, you know, decent, decent average route runner, and uh, I think he is. What I like about him is he has good change of direction as a runner, good agility, and uh, you know that that's going to help you, you know, as a running back in the NFL. AJ Dillon, obviously, man. I mean, this guy's huge at the combine, six feet, two hundred and forty-seven pounds, Ed. But the way he jumped, the the broad jump, the vert. I mean, he was he showed his explosive ability, and he also ran a four five three in the at the combine in the forty. That's incredible for a guy that's almost two hundred and fifty pounds. So a lot of people started comparing him to Derrick Henry, and I think that's what you see. To be honest with you, um, Derrick Henry when he was coming out of Alabama, AJ Dillon gives you those vibes, and because of his explosive ability, because of his speed. I mean, you know this guy's not a one-year wonder because he's produced at Boston College for the last three years. He's gained over 4,000 yards, 38 touchdowns, which was, uh, he set a record at Boston College by scoring so many touchdowns. I mean, once this guy hits the hole, it's hard to bring him down. And obviously we all saw what, what Derrick Henry was able to do with the Tennessee Titans this year, especially in the playoffs. I mean, nobody could tackle him. A.J. Dillon is a balling ball. I mean, try tackling that guy by himself. Most linebackers in today's game or safeties are not able to do it. It takes like two or three guys to bring this guy down. So A.J. Dillon is an interesting prospect. The only thing is that when you watch his film, he is a below-average pass blocker. I mean, he's just atrocious at times in terms of picking out his assignments, and I hope he gets better at that because – if you want to get on the field, you have to be a better receiver coming out of the backfield. He wasn't featured at Boston College, and you've got to be able to pass protect, and that's one of the major weaknesses for A.J. Dillon. Okay, we're going to number five, uh, Cam Akers, running back from Florida State. Um, this is the guy I saw you know, using the trick play, um, fights for tough yards, can catch out of the backfield. He's an explosive runner. Um, Average blocker. Um, I don't think he was asked to catch out of the backfield a lot, but I think it's something he can do. Um, I guess. I guess one of the things that I, I I'm I like him more than maybe like what others do is because I didn't think he had a very good offensive line at Florida State. I mean, I think there's some guys on their offensive line that have some potential, but I, I, I it was just you know what he did with kind of what he had around him and the competition he played against. I was impressed with with Cam Akers, so um, yeah, I, I I think he's a guy. He's a guy who who really you know could could with good interviews be a day two guy. Yeah, Cam Akers is an interesting guy. There are a lot of draft picks out there that really like him. I'm not one of them, but he's elusive. He's a natural pass catcher. Uh, once he gets to the second level, it's he, he's going to make that guy miss when he gets in that one-on-one situation. I have effort issues with him, and I just I felt like he's not always a, a hard runner out there, even though he didn't have a great offensive line, but you, you feel it. I mean, Florida State didn't win a lot of games the last couple of years, and it seemed like Cam Akers wasn't always giving it his full effort, and that, that worries me to be honest with you. But you do, when you watch him, you get those Dalvin Cook vibes. I mean, they're very similar prospects. Dalvin Cook also went to Florida State. We saw what he did this year once he got healthy with the Minnesota Vikings. So they're very similar players. That's that's just basically my comp when, when I see him. So Dalvin Cook, 
interesting prospect, uh, a guy that's going to be available in the third round, and I'm sure some team is, is going to be happy to, to draft him. So we'll go to number four. Um, this is a guy that I think really had a great year at LSU, um, Ed Clyde Edwards-Zeller. Um, he was a running back for that team, um, elusive runner, good catching out of the backfield, um, lined up as an outside receiver at times, good route runner for a running back, can be an explosive runner, good vision. I mean, he really added another dimension. I mean, he, he deserves some of the credit for the success that Joe Burrow and the LSU offense had this year. I mean, they put up a lot of big numbers on teams, but it made it just so much more difficult when the fact that they could they could run the ball if they needed to. So, I mean, they could run the ball, they could throw the ball with Joe Burrow, and so, I mean, that's what made them such a dangerous offense. So, um, I, th- I think Edward Zeller is going to be a good, a good pro as well, and I wouldn't be surprised if a team took him on day two. How could you not love Clyde Edwards Elair? His vision, his balance, his ability to, to pick up yards after contact, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Look, this guy's gonna play for, for the next ten to twelve years. I see a lot of Darren Sproles in his game. The only thing is he doesn't have that speed. Sproles was a four four guy. Clyde Edwards Elair ran a four six. I mean he's still a four six guy with pads on. He's just not a the fast blazer for his size. He just I love his game. He always runs hard. How could you not love him? And obviously Burrow and Jamar Chase, they got a lot of hype and, and recognition. But Clyde Edwards-Zelaer, when they needed a big play, Burrow went his way because he knew that he was going to pick up that, that key first down or make that catch on, on third down. I, I love this guy. Yeah, Edward Zeller is a good one. So we'll go on to number three, and uh, this is this is where I'm. I, you know, I get pretty impressed with this running back class. Um, I, I'm going to put number three as DeAndre Swift. I know others have him higher, but um, you know, this is a guy who was able to dig out hard yards for a little guy. Um, you know, he did get shut down again early against Notre Dame, but he has decent bursts. Ran out a lot of the shotgun. Good catching out of the backfield and good pass blocker. Really what I like about him is he's explosive. He's a big play guy, and he showed that he can be, you know, dominant in the SEC. And so that tells me that I think he can be a good running back. He's not going to be the biggest guy um, in the NFL, but, you know, sort of that speed back. And we've seen a lot of those, you know, guys like like an Alvin Kamara, you know, just, you know, maybe they weren't like the biggest guys, but they, they had great speed and explosiveness and, we're able to we're able to you know dig out the big play and so I think DeAndre Swift is uh, is a first round guy. Georgia running backs have had a lot of success in the past. Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, obviously DeAndre Swift is smaller, but he's built really well. He's got that thick lower body. It's hard to bring him down, and you you love that his start and stop ability. He can accelerate very quickly, whether it's through the hole or bouncing it outside, and obviously he gives you an extra dimension as a receiver. I just don't think he's ever going to be the feature back. You know, I've compared him to Devontae Freeman, but Freeman was featured uh, with the Atlanta Falcons for a couple of years. I think he's going to be that, that guy that you use on third downs, and I'm not sure you draft a guy like that early, like late first round or early second round pick. He's never going to be the guy that's going to carry the rock a lot. You're going to try to get him some touches, maybe 15, 20 a game, but he's going to be a third down back more than he's going to be the feature guy. You agree with me there? Well, I see that comparison, and I think that's what people were saying about Alvin Kamara when he was coming out. You know, oh, maybe third down back, punt returner type. But, I mean, Alvin, I mean, you see, you've seen guys like that. You know, Christian McCaffrey was kind of the same thing. They said the same thing about him. You know, I, I was one of those that said, yeah, maybe he's more of that thunder. To the thunder, he's more that lightning back. But I, I, I legitimately think a DeAndre Swift can be effective in today's NFL. I mean, the NFL's changing, and, you know, speed, is, guys, guys have won with speed. No, I'm not saying he's not going to be successful. There's going to be a role for him, but I'm just I'm thinking he's going to be used less, and that's the reason why I would pull the trigger on DeAndre Swift in the early third round, but I don't necessarily see him 
as a high pick at the end of the first round or early second round pick. All right. Well, um, I like this kid, J.K. Dobbins. Um, you know, what I what I like about him is he might be, like, one of the best pass blockers in this draft. And, I mean, you know, the other things you can do on offense, I mean, you know, pass blocking is kind of an underrated attribute, but it is really important in the passing league. Um, you know, I do think he needs better balance, but he's an explosive runner. He has good speed. He's a physical runner. Um, he's You know, he, he's played hurt at times, so we haven't really seen – um, you know, the best of him. I would say J.K. Dobbins is, you know, every bit a, every bit a, uh, a first-round guy. J.K. Dobbins is my favorite running back in this draft. I have him number one in my rankings when they come out, my, my final running back rankings come out, because I believe he's the best all-around back in terms of his power, in terms of his pass-catching ability, uh, in terms of his pass-blocking ability. I'm glad you mentioned that. I think he is the best pass-blocking running back in this draft. I just love his ability. Uh, he runs angry, and he did that as a junior. I had questions about him as a sophomore, but as a junior, he was just he was on a mission, and he really did well. And uh, a lot of people like to talk about Justin Fields, but it was J.K. Dobbins that was steering that ship into the playoffs, and uh, they nearly pulled it off. I mean, in the beginning of that Clemson game. He was incredible in that first quarter. So J.K. Dobbins is my number one running back in this draft just because I believe that he's the best all-around runner. And you have to be a good pass catcher. You have to be a very good pass blocker in this league. And uh, Dobbins definitely gets it done. So I guess the drum roll for our number one, um, you know, I – I, I, I don't know if it's a secret that I'm a big fan of uh, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, and I know he his draft stock has kind of fallen, but, I mean, he, he's about as good of a, a runner as I've seen in a few years. Um, you know, he had a lot of carries at Wisconsin. He's elusive. He's a physical runner. He has a rare combination of power and speed. He's athletic enough to hurdle tacklers. He has good bursts out of the backfield. Um, you know, they didn't ask him to catch a lot or block a lot. Um, you know, he was more he was more the kind of the carry of the load guy, but this is a guy I could you know, I could stick right into my lineup and be my feature back. I think that means that you know I, I don't know if I'm gonna get a lot of longevity out of him. You know, he has a lot of tread on his tires from, you know, his college career. I mean, he was the feature back three years at Wisconsin. So I mean I, I understand that he you know, he's had a lot of carries, he's had a lot of wear and tear, but I mean, other than that, I mean you know, he's gonna he's gonna step right in and be, I think, a top fifteen running back in the league. Now I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. Look, I I realize what Ed has said. He, look, Jonathan Taylor is the best pure runner in this class, and it's hard to argue with that. He was featured at Wisconsin for three years, and I believe he can be a featured back for the next four or five years. But the tread on his tires, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty significant, Ed. 926 carries over three years. And I'm surprised he didn't mention this, but in 41 career games, Ed, he has fumbled the ball 18 times. 18 times. I saw a stat out there that Jonathan Taylor has fumbled the ball every once every 54 carries. That's crazy, Ed. As a running back, you have to hold on to the ball. We've seen plenty of running backs being benched and not get back on the field because they cough it up. And it's a problem that Jonathan Taylor has had since his freshman year. That's significant, man. I mean, you got to hold on to the ball. And then when you compare the fact that he was featured more as a passer in the passing game this year, and I was glad to see that. He does have natural hands. It seems like he, he catches the ball pretty cleanly. But he can't pass protect. He hasn't been in those positions. And I'm just curious if he'll be able to handle it because he wasn't asked to do that a lot at Wisconsin. You have to be a pass blocker in this league. The wear and tear, the, the fumbling issues. Those are my concerns. If he didn't have those fumbling issues, Ed, he would be a top 10 pick. No questions asked for me. Because we, we've seen guys go into the league that have significant wear and tear, and they still do well. I mean, LaDainian Tomlinson had over 900 carries in his four years, and we saw the career, the long career that he had. 
So I, I don't doubt because of the power, the speed, his vision, his balance. Jonathan Taylor is a natural at the running back position. But you have to hold on to the ball and you have to pass protect. And those are the two major issues that, that I have with Taylor. All right. Well, um, Let's move but... on to your most overrated guy in this running back class. Surprise me. Who is it? I'm not a big fan of Anthony McFarland from Maryland. Um, he's got very average burst, average vision. He's a decent pass blocker, decent change of direction. I think his balance needs some work, and I think he needs to make tacklers miss better. I mean, I think one of the main responsibilities of a runner is to make the first tackler miss, and I'm not seeing him do that. So I'm not a huge fan of Anthony McFarlane. The other overrated guy I got is Tavian Feaster, running back from South Carolina. Yes, that is me calling an, uh, a South Carolina player overrated. You know, he's he is good at breaking tackles. Um, I thought he had a hard time finding the hole against Alabama. Um, you know, he's a decent pass blocker, but he's not as good as a receiver. He has below average vision, and he needs a better burst. So Tavian Feaster is not my guy. I am surprised that you... Uh put South Carolina running back on that list. But to be fair, Tavian Feaster was at Clemson for three years before he transferred to, to South Carolina for his final season. So he's not a, an original South Carolina Gamecock. So who is your uh, most underrated running back in this draft? You know, I really I really like this kid. I mean, we talked about him before, but I really like James Robinson. Um I just, I just think he, you know, I think he gets overshadowed because he played at Illinois State, but I think, I think he's going to be an actually a very good NFL running back, and he'll get drafted a little bit later. But I mean, that might be a guy I might target like fourth round. I think, I think, you know, you get him behind an NFL offensive line, and I think he'd be effective for you. Another guy is Darius Anderson, you know, a guy who, you know, is a senior bowl guy. He's a very speedy, great outside runner. I, th- I think what he can be is, is explosive. I think he can be kind of like that. You understand what I mean when I say like a thunder and a lightning kind of combination, you know? Yeah, that big, uh, play, like threat, a, like, that big play threat in an offense. When you need one, he can hit that home run. He can make the defender miss in the open field. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. The running back by committee. I mean, those are the guys that you draft on day three, guys that can come in and, and do a role, whether they catch the ball well out of the backfield or they're good short, short yardage backs or – or they're big play threats. I mean, that's what you're looking for. Most teams in today's NFL use a two-back committee. And by the way, I'm glad you're mentioning James Robinson from Illinois State because on this show, I'm always sticking up for the small school guys from FCS schools. And, and usually Ed plays the coy, and he usually doesn't stick up for them. He usually puts them down. He actually... Rose here and, and saw and recognized that James Robinson is, is a heck of a prospect and you know, he could be a good NFL back at the next level. I'm glad for that, Ed. I'm glad you, you finally came around and you're on the bandwagon of, of a small school guy here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I will admit, like, there, there is just the security in the fact that, you know, a guy played Power 5 conference football. I mean, you know, you know, you know he's, he, he's got good tape against good competition. So, um, but, you know, when a, guy, when a guy has great tape against lower divisions and, you know, I, I, I love the, I mean, it might be sad if we don't have it this year, but I love the, the whole non-conference thing that we play three games of non-conference or two or three games of non-conference because then it gives, like, teams like, you know, you can, you can have an Illinois State and then you can have them play a Power 5 conference team and you can see how that player does in a Power 5 conference environment and all of a sudden you start to say, wow, I mean, <laughs> you know, he... He he he's one of the better players on the field, and then it, you know it kind of it kind of says, well, you know, he's just as NFL worthy as any of these other Clemson players or any of these other, you know, uh, Illinois players if they're playing Illinois or Big Ten players or SEC or Pac-12 players. Let's get to your sleeper, Ed. Yeah, there, there's a guy. There's a guy I really like. Uh, Javon Leak, uh, running back from Maryland. Um, I think he has decent vision, good balance, breaks tackles with speed, has sneaky bursts, and he's an explosive runner. Um, you know, he wasn't. You know, he he's a little bit overshadowed because he played in Maryland, and it isn't. You know, he isn't a guy who's going to go on day one or day two. I think he might be a, a guy who goes like later on day three. But I I, I really think he's going to be a good running back. 
My sleeper is Jonathan Ward, a running back from Central Michigan. Um, you know, he's, he's about 6'1", 200 pounds. This guy was at the NFLPA Bowl. I just I love how he runs inside. He's got that home run ability. He catches the ball well out of the backfield. He can make defenders miss. Seems to have good vision, quickness, and he was a team captain in 2019. Has to improve his ball security and has to improve as a pass blocker. But as far as the receiver, as far as the runner, he's done some really good things at Central Michigan over the last four years. And I think there's there's a guy that's just flying under the radar. He wasn't at the scouting combine, but Jonathan Ward, keep an eye on him. Also a guy late day three or or as an undrafted free agent. So that's the overview of the running back position overall. There's a lot of depth, and obviously Ed believes that three guys have the capability of going in round one. I believe that none of the running backs will go in round one just because there's going to be a run on, on wide receivers and offensive tackles. But overall, Ed, it's a really solid group. Yeah, it, it really is a good group. I mean, this is a year. If you want a running back, you know, go after a running back this year. I mean, this is, you know, wide receiver is the strongest group. I mean, if you're going to draft a, you know, draft a wide receiver this year. But, you know, I mean, I like the corners in this draft. I think you can get a good corner in this draft, and I think you can get a good running back in this draft. We have Levante Bellamy on our show today. He's a running back from Western Michigan. How are you doing today, Levante? I'm doing great, man. Excited to be here. Awesome, man. Well, uh, let's get right to it. Talk about what it was like to win the Vern Smith Leadership Award in the MAC in 2019. That's the league's MVP. Yeah, winning that award was just great. It was a accomplishment for me, uh, my teammates, coaching staff. Uh, it was just a blessing because, you know, seeing how far I came without my injuries. And then in year four, I was first-team all-MAC to then being the offensive MAC player of the year, the MVP of the league. And first thing on Mac again, uh, it just shows that anything is possible, you know what I'm saying, as long as you stay stay dedicated, you know, stay down, you know, and just have a lot of hard work in you, uh, pride. Uh, you got to be able to fail first in order to be successful. So I feel like the biggest – I feel like the biggest thing with winning something like the Vern Smith Award is that if you ask any of the winners from years before back to the 80s, 70s doesn't matter. I bet you uh, they have a great story to tell you about failure and how they got to where they were. Levante, talk about overcoming those injuries early on in your career. Well, in year in year one, I had a torn labrum, but I I played the rest of the season on it. Uh, I got surgery after the season of my freshman year, so I didn't know what to expect. I didn't even know you know I didn't even know that I, that I had something wrong with my shoulder. I just thought it was like separated or something slight. And it ended up being torn, so I got the surgery, and, you know, I overcame that one. I feel like the first surgery is always the easiest. It was like you've never been there before, so it was kind of like, oh, okay, well, you, you know, I mean, I'll be fine. And then year two, broke my ankle in the Illinois game. And then it was like I was, I, I started to get worried. I started to get nervous because then I knew that maybe, okay, like maybe I'm injury prone or something going on that I don't know about, but. It wasn't either, for real. It was just, you know, I feel like it was more mental. I feel like uh, when I got to college, I didn't understand the aspect of taking care of your body because all throughout high school and being 16, stuff like that, like like you never had to even stress the football games. But then you get to an age where it's like, you know, if you don't take care of your body, your body is not going to take care of you. I didn't understand that until I got hurt a couple times. And it was devastating because I had to watch, you know, I feel like the hardest part is, is to watch guys who you know and love that play for your own team doing a job that you know that you could do just as well, if not better, and watching them do it. I feel like it kind of adds some fuel, and it just, man, it prepares you to be a different person. When you were coming out, you were a three-star recruit. How did you wind up in Western Michigan? Well, I was originally committed to play Cincinnati, but – like day or two before uh, signing day, they dropped me. Blake Rowe and them dropped me, and uh, they went a different route with uh, uh, Joshua Holland. Still remember the guy they took over me. He uh, uh, he was a running back. I think he's from Avondale or something like that. So they took him over me. Uh, we battered it out at one of these camps before. So 
I remember exactly who he was. He, I mean, he was a little bigger, a little stronger at the time. So then, uh, then I had like the Mac. I had Kentucky. You know, Florida State was interested, but they were so far away. Eddie Faulkner was at NC State at the time. He was very interested, but I felt like uh, they knew they couldn't get me because I didn't want to go like super far away from home. Uh, that's why I was, you know, I was looking towards staying home. Then like IU and Purdue at the time, they just, I just wasn't feeling them. So. I started to look towards the Mac. I didn't know a lot of teams in the Mac. I knew a Ball State, but they had James Gilbert at the time, and he was from my area, so I didn't want to step on his toes because we were good friends. Uh, my mom always liked how Weston was the only school that always sent handwritten letters home. And, like, you could tell that they were, like, handwritten. They weren't, like, you know, like like somebody had it typed, but it looked handwritten. She scheduled a visit, and I didn't want to go I didn't. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I did not want to go. Like, I didn't want to go on no visit. It said it was like a four-and-a-half-hour drive. I didn't want to go. And she convinced me to, you know, to hop in the car and go. So we went. And, uh, man, it actually ended up not being that bad. I mean, you know, so I liked it. Um, I liked the energy that Fleck had brought. It was a little different, a little weird sometimes. But I liked the energy he brought. And, man, I committed that day. Well, that's cool. I mean, P.J. Fleck, before he moved on, obviously he was of Western Michigan. You guys won a lot of games that first year when you got there, right? Yeah, we did. It must have been exciting being part of that, that winning culture in the beginning. Obviously, Fleck moved on, and you guys won seven games like the rest of the way. But uh, obviously that first year must have been exciting. As you look back on your career, Levante, what is your biggest accomplishment that you're most proud of? My biggest accomplishment I'm most proud of is probably just, I don't know, just helping the young guys. I feel like that's probably my biggest. I, like I tell people all the time, I tell them, I say, when you when you old, you know what I'm saying, you're not going to remember none of the touchdowns you scored. You're not going to remember no, – you ain't going to remember no yards that you got. You're not going to remember no big catch you made, no big win. You may remember a couple. You may remember the MAC championship no matter how old you get because you got to – that's like, like symbolization. But like the things you do remember is the lives you change and the people you touched along the way. So I feel like if I remember anything or, or something that's like that, it'd probably be when, when, when this freshman, Corey Croom, scored his first touchdown against uh, Eastern Michigan. I remember that for the rest of my life because when he came out of high school, he came to our school early. So he left his high school in December, meaning he missed prom. He wasn't, you know what I'm saying? He was he was away from home, away from his girlfriend, away from his mom. And we working with him all year long. And to see it pay off and him at least get a touchdown or something to show his family and, like, his friends that he made the right decision to leave high school early and come to us was just, like, the biggest blessing for, like, me and my life and him and, and the whole team. So it sounds like you're not a big stats guy. You're a team guy. That's That's good to hear. Uh, football players, it is about the team. It's about, you know, 100 guys on the roster in college. It's about that 53-man roster in the NFL. But you saved your best season for last. I mean, you had over 1,400 yards rushing. You scored 23 touchdowns as a senior. Talk about that special last season in 2019. Well, I mean, I knew I wanted to leave it all out there on the line for that last season. Uh, I didn't want to hold nothing back. I didn't want to leave. No stones unturned, and I knew that it was my last chance to prove to not only myself but to the world that I am a good, you know, guy at running back, and I'm a great athlete, and that I can do it at the next level. But I had to prove it, so I knew it like a game against like Syracuse, a bigger team, bigger opponent, that'd be the perfect way. So you know, uh, when I played them, I kind of, I kind of had like a like a different uh, mentality in me. You know, I did every game, but in that one game specifically, I knew that like. That was the last game before the end of our, like, our non-conference. So I knew I had to bring it in that game. And I went 15 for 165 and two touchdowns in only the third quarter. I didn't even play the fourth quarter of that game, you know, because of concussion protocol or whatever they tried to say it was. But there was nothing wrong with it. Yeah, so it was just, you know, like, man, that season was just, it was all about proving everybody wrong. Like, anybody who ever doubted me, you know what I'm saying, I wanted to prove everybody wrong. But along the way, like, I learned that I don't know if I was more trying to prove everybody wrong or prove myself right about who I really was, you know? Because, like, you try so hard to prove everybody wrong about 
about like your capabilities and stuff like that, that like along the way you realize that like you also are trying to prove to yourself that you can do it or that like you did do it. Man, this season was like big for me, it was big for my teammates and and I'm just glad, you know, by the by the grace of God that it ended up end up going the way that I wanted it to. Talk about being a kick returner in college and how that gives you added value to an NFL roster. Well when you when you're not too 36, 1, 6, 2, the way some teams like, you know, and you being my size and and having return specialties is is a great asset because if you look on any roster in the NFL, any running back who ain't, who's not like the biggest guy is going to have to play special teams, and that's what they need you to do. So I was like an added ability. Like, unless you're the starting running back in the league, you're going to do special teams. And I don't mind doing special teams. It don't matter. Whatever I got to do for the team to win. What do you think is the key to playing the running back position? You gotta, I tell people all the time that the key to being a running back is, is like, in-game, speed don't go out the window. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of stuff is what you lose. Like, in-game, you may get hit hard enough to where, okay, now I got a bruise on my kneecap, so I can't run as fast as I want to. Now I can't cut. So a lot of people think that, like, okay, well, like, the key to being a running back is, oh, I got to I gotta have – you got to have agility. You got to be able to fish. Okay, yeah, all that stuff is great because you're going to need it. But what happens when all that is taken away from you? Somebody hits you in the leg. Now your leg hurts. Somebody hits you on top of your shoulders. Now your shoulders hurt. You know what I'm saying? You get hit in the knees. Now your knees hurt. Everything hurts, but what's left in you? And that's that alpha dog mentality. You cannot play it. I tell you all the time, if you're not crazy, you have to be Damn near insane to want to play running back. Insane. You get hit every play, no matter what. You're getting hit every play. So I say the biggest key to being a running back is that alpha mentality. You have to have a sense of crazy, a sense of dog in you that every play, I'm going to mess somebody up. Because either you're going to mess somebody up or they're going to mess you up. When did they move you to running back, Levante? I'm just curious. When did you when did you become that dog? When did you become crazy? How did you get put at running back in the first place? Well, when I was in high school, I was like a slot wing type guy, stuff like that, and we was running like a wishbone offense my freshman year in high school. So they ended up switching it over, and what we did was was we kind of moved it towards an offense where it was more spread and gun and stuff like that. And I was at slot, and they would notice that like. Anytime I had the ball in my hands, it was like, like he's dangerous. Like it was a, you playing a dangerous game by having me as slot receiver. But like I want to play running back because I was so aggressive that like when I would make a catch, sometimes instead of scoring, I would look for that contact because I wasn't getting it. I wasn't, I was never getting touched. So anytime I had the ball, like I want to, I want to feel like, like something happening. So they said, okay, let's move in the running back. Our running back had got hurt my sophomore year, so they moved me to running back. And, all oh, that was the worst thing they could have did. I, I rushed for, like, 1,500 yards in six games. It was crazy. But then my junior year, it was kind of like, like, now that I got the contact I needed, now I'm just going to run past everybody because I'm going to showcase, like, the speed. You know what I'm saying? The stuff that the, that people don't normally see every day. And I did those special teams in high school, too, and stuff like that. But I don't know. Like, man, I can't even say that, like, having that craziness in you is like something that you can like learn. It's not like a learned skill. I just feel like you born that way. Like you just born like, like I would mess somebody up. Like just because like, it's just something that's like instilled in you and everybody don't got that. But that's why everybody don't make it to, if you notice at the combine, like the running back of position always has the least amount of guys at the combine. Cause everybody can't do that. Everybody is not crazy. Drafted or undrafted, I know when I show up to camp, it could be six undrafted dudes that are running back. They're just as crazy as I am. Because ain't no way you showing up doing this job every day. Levante, uh, which NFL running back would you compare your game to? I have one in mind. Uh, I just want to hear it from you. Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles. All right. Make the comparison. Make the comparison there. What? What makes you uh, as special as Darren when he was coming out of Kansas State? Well, Darren Sproles has always been my favorite running back when I was a kid growing up. But, Darren, like, the thing I loved with Darren Sproles was he was going to wear you down. He was going to 
have his he's gonna have his fun on kick returns, and then he's gonna be at running back, and then he's gonna be on punt return, then and then he was gonna shake you up one on one route, catch the ball in the backfield, and he's scoring. And then after he didn't beat you in all all aspects, and now you on your heels because you don't want him to, you know what I'm saying? Because you don't want to get juked again. Now he's gonna run you over just to show that I am physical and I already beat you. But now I'm gonna show you that I'm gonna outwill you. And when you outwill the person in the game, oh, you done took a soul, man. When you take somebody's soul in the game, it's a whole like man. When you see it in their eyes that that they hit you and they gave you everything they had and you still got back up, oh man, it's gonna be a long game. You played at the East-West Shrine game. What was the biggest takeaway from that All-Star week? Uh, the biggest takeaway for me was just getting used to, like, to having to talk to, like, a lot of people that, like, I ain't know and 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 having roommates that, like, I had never met before. You know what I'm saying? It, it just it took a lot of getting used to, like, having to talk to people who you've never seen in your life and you're there for a week. So it's like you're going to have to learn to be comfortable with, like, the uncomfortable. And, and then, like, if we want to go on terms of, like, practice, the 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 hardest part for me was just not even learning to play because the plays was not the hard part. The hard part was like understanding like the scheme or being like the I formation or being like underneath the center because I was always in a gun thread type offense. So it it was a little uncomfortable. Like it was great for me to be able to to like start to learn it so that when I'm in the camp and we do go underneath the center, like, it doesn't feel weird to take the handoffs no more or it don't feel weird to, to catch a sweep no more because all that will come natural now that I've done it for a week at the East West Shrine. So, I mean, with this coronavirus, we don't have uh, we don't have as many pro days. What's your 40 time? You know, according to the combine, I ran a 4-5, but I had a, I had pulled my hip flexor 12 yards in. I was I was supposed to run 4-2-8 and below. That's what I know. I would have ran had I not pulled my hip flexor. But I mean, I pulled my hip flexor 12 yards in, still ran a four or five flat. It's people, it's people who train their whole lives to run at the combine, and I did on the pool hip flexor. So healthy, I know I'm sub four three easily. Well, I think people that watch the film of this running back class know that you're, I mean, you're the fastest running back in this draft. There's no doubt about that because you see that on the football field. So at the combine, I think you would have had the chance to to show that. You did well on the jumps, though. You did well Mm -hmm. on the vert and the broad. Talk about your overall performance at the combine before you pulled out. I mean, I knew, like, if you you go back and look probably on any year in any combine, there's not a lot of people who – we're going to jump super high, jump super far, and not run super fast, or at least do what, what, what you think they're going to do. But that was just, you know, like I've always been able to jump high, far, and stuff like that. But it was just showing that, that, that like, I do have explosion. Uh, I can go up and get the football. It was a blessing in disguise because that kind of made up for me not – I don't know if the scouts, like, was expecting me to run faster or what it was, but it was like that kind of helped me in saying that, like, okay, maybe he was hurt because with as high as he jumped and as far as he jumped, it kind of didn't correlate. So maybe something was wrong with that he was hurt. So I feel like it benefited me in a way. Levante, I read that it was your childhood dream to make it to the Combine in Indy mm-hmm. because you're a local guy. What was it like to, to live out that dream? Uh, it was great, you know what I mean? Just being there, seeing the ins and outs of what really happened at the combine, and trying to uh, familiarize myself with, with like all the people and like seeing like tour and stuff like that, stuff that like you never thought like you would think it'd be like meeting a celebrity, but they like regular people, like you know what I'm saying, like meeting J.K. and and all the guys and uh and Jonathan Taylor and them. It was just like it just it just felt like I was a kid again, like man, like I like I still remember like when I was sit in front of the TV and I see how these dudes like, man, they really at the combine and then like to be there on national television, it was just crazy. How did you deal with the overall pressure of the combine? The testing, the interviews, not getting enough sleep. How did you deal with it? I mean, it is what it is, man. You you know, I'm used to that. You know what I'm saying? It's always pressure. It's pressure in games. It's, it's I mean it's pressure on you at school and, and you out of the party and people ask you to drink. It's always pressure, you know what I'm saying? But no pressure, no diamonds. So it's kind of like you got to be prepared for it. Like I prepared myself 
for the unexpected. So when the unexpected hit, there is no pressure because I was already mentally prepared. I, I was ready for this. You know what I'm saying? Like if you prepare all week and you go through all the films and all the scout tapes and you do everything right the whole week, when it's game time, that's the easy part. Now all I got to do is do what I practice. Practice makes perfect. So, I mean, I did everything prior to, so by the time it was time to execute, I was ready. We've talked about your speed, which is your biggest strength. What other attributes do you bring to the football field as far as strengths? My ability to to get open and open space and, and, and have that one-on-one matchup. My vision, versatility, the ability to, to – be able to go in that slot receiver. I can go do the punt return. I can do kick return. Or I can run down as the gunner if you need me to and make a tackle. It's just stuff like that. Like, I possess that a lot of running backs don't. Like, my ability to just keep doing more and more and more and more and learning so much, whereas some some guys that running back is like, you can only pay them so much because they can only do a limited amount of jobs or they can only do one job, and that's play running back. I can be whatever you need me to be. If you need me at nickel real quick, I, you know what I'm saying? I can go in for a play on that. If you need me at DB, I can go in for a play or two on that. Whatever you need me to do, I can do. And that's the asset that I have that I think no other running back in the draft has outside of DJ Dallas and uh, Javon Lee. Along with uh, being an accomplished football player, you also have a finance degree. What do you want to do with your finance degree after football? I want to be – a financial advisor to keep a lot of these guys in the NFL from going broke. So it's kind of good that I'm be in the NFL because it's going to give me some connections that I wouldn't have had had I not went went to the combine and met a lot of the guys and stuff like that. So, I mean, whenever it's over, God willing it's over and I can make some money, you know, I can make sure I start my own business, help a lot of these guys in the NFL. Well, Levante, it was a pleasure. Thanks for being on our show. Um, this was Blitzcast 102. Thanks for listening.